Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, True Rojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Got a very special show. For the first time, we're going to have Shotgun, Shotgun Spratling on the show. He's a uscfootball.com contributor. He's been helping us out with recruiting and team stuff. Did a really cool feature up on the site today. We're going to talk to him about that. If you, uh, He's going to answer a bunch of your questions, too. We had a lot of leftover questions. Not leftover, just that we had so many questions in the first couple pro- podcasts of the week. We were going to get to all those with Shotgun and myself, so we're going to get to that in a minute. Just wanted to let you know. If you have questions for us, you can always email us. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Uh, or if you want to leave us a voicemail, we like to get those too. A couple of ways to do that. 641-715-3900 is the voicemail box. This voicemail number, and you can leave it in our mailbox, 816-646. Or if you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and you can leave us a voicemail from any of your devices. And of course, Follow us on iTunes, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. You can follow the show, subscribe to the show, leave feedback for the show. So cool stuff there, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. All right, well, let's bring in Shotgun Spratling. He wears a lot of different hats, and he does wear literally and figuratively. You can follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. What's up, buddy? How you doing, Shotgun? Hanging in there. I mean, it's been a long day already with morning practices. It always makes a... Uh makes the day go by a lot quicker because you have to get out there early and get going. But I'm excited to be on the podcast for the first time. It is very cool to have you out there. So Shotgun does stuff for the LA Times. He's working all over the place. He does a lot of Division One baseball stuff. If you're a baseball fan, uh, you've probably seen some of his posts on the Peristyle, uh, you know, talking about the USC baseball team. But right now he's in full-on college football mode, uh, just grinding away. And had a really cool feature that went up on the site today, uh, participation chart, kind of charting – uh, not kind of charting exactly how many plays everyone had in which quarter and uh, some of the breakdowns on which downs they were in. So it's pretty cool stuff. Maybe you want to kind of explain uh, what you were doing there, Shotgun. Well, we wanted to see, you know, they've been talking about all fall camp that they were going to do this platooning system. It wasn't going to be subbing anymore. It was going to be platooning. We're going to see how much these young guys are going to get in one as well, the freshmen, because we were so excited to see some of those guys out there. How much were these guys actually going to be used? And, you know, how integral were they going to be a part of the team? Was it just going to be, you know, late fourth quarter stuff when they, they're blowing out Arkansas State? Is that when we're going to start seeing all these freshmen? But no, we saw a bunch of these guys throughout the game and it was interesting to see kind of the, the, where we were concerned about depth issues with the team and, and where those kind of popped up. At, at, and for one of those is the cornerback, the defensive back, uh, position, especially when Adore went down. Uh, you know, those guys play a couple more plays than anybody else. Even going into the fourth quarter, guys like, uh, Chris Hawkins was still out there. He was playing a little bit cornerback, actually, because they'd had a three-man rotation of Kevon Seymour, Jonathan Lockett, and Iman Marshall. Um, and, and it was interesting. What, that was one of the most interesting positions to me. And, uh, because of the way they used Kevon Seymour, he actually played 11 to 15 plays in all four quarters. And he actually started, and, and Kevon Seymour is a, you know, a potential All-American candidate. We don't know if he'll, he'll get to that quite that level this year, but, you know, a guy that could go in the NFL this year and a senior cornerback, 
expecting him to be a guy that can, can potentially shut down the other side opposite of Adoree. And he starts the first three series, doesn't come out of play, and then he sits the next three series. And they went with Jonathan Lockett and, and Iman Marshall on the other side and, and let those young guys go in there and, and gave them some trust and, and, uh, and went with them and let them play. And that way, Kevon was fresh for the next quarter and the third quarter, the fourth quarter, when he was going to have to make some plays and, and play there because of Adoree being injured. So that was one, one position I was really interested uh, to see, and that kind of stood out to me. Uh, there were some other positions where guys – we're moving around. We saw Toa Lobanon. He actually played three different positions. I don't know <laughs> if we really expected him to play, no. <laughs> uh, move all over the place, but, uh, he definitely did. And, uh, you know, the offensive line, people were wondering about how much Chuma Adoga would get in there for Zach Banner. And, uh, it wasn't quite as much as some people probably expected or hoped for because of, uh, Zach's struggles a little bit earlier in the fall, but he looked really good in, in the Arkansas State game. And he's probably, uh, if I were to grade out all the offensive linemen, he'd probably be either the top or the top two because he he was really good just dominating guys. Now, one run in particular, I believe it was a Trey Madden run. Trey Madden ends up, if you remember, he, he cuts through, great block by Vianne, great block from the wide receivers downfield. And he actually started on the right side running. He cuts across, back across, and ends up at the left pylon when he scores a touchdown. And uh Bob Connolly told me uh, on Tuesday, he's like, if you look at the film, you'll see that Zach Banner is 35 yards downfield on the opposite sideline, still pushing his guy out of bounds. <laughs> and I mean, that's just a great effort by Zach Banner. I think it, you know, we were wondering, you know, they were threatening his play in time and stuff like that with the dog out there and how much that would kind of light a fire under him. And, and he had a really great game. We'll see if he can c- continue it, uh, this upcoming weekend. So definitely check it out on uscfootball.com, uh, the participation chart. And here's what I like. Uh, shotgun is that it's a very interesting game that there wasn't a whole lot of plays on offense. I mean, it was a blowout, of course. Uh, so a lot of people got to play, but not a lot of offensive plays. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot more offensive plays against Idaho. I, I think there'll still be some explosive plays, but probably not the three and outs that kind of led to some, you know, truncated drives that you just really didn't expect to see quite as much. So when you have more offensive players, how the ball is going to be spread around, how the, uh, the, the reps are going to be spread around. And then on defense, too, there'll be a lot of substituting in the second half, how that all kind of breaks down. But once, then you'll be able to compare a couple of games like this that are, you know, the second one's likely going to be a blowout, um, to a Stanford and Arizona State the next weeks. And how many plays are run? Do they still do the platooning? If it's a crunch time situation, it's a tie game with Arizona State in the third quarter. Are they still platooning or are they only going with the, the guys that they trust. That's what you kind of want to see. I think it's easier to, to follow with the, the plans that you have as a coach when you're playing a team like Arkansas State and you have the game in control versus maybe a game that's not as in control and you're on the road against a, a division rival in Arizona State. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what Stark said right after the game. He said, well, this is the plan as far as we have planned for now. And if something go, until something goes astray, I think were, were his exact words. Uh, so yeah, that, I mean, it's all, it's all a great in theory and you, you put it in implementation, uh, it, but then once something changes, how do you react to it? And, and that's what we'll find out. Probably not this week, of course, with the Idaho game. We'll, we'll see some different things. Like you said, uh, they, they talked about the, the offense going pretty slow and not getting as many plays. So I think that's going to be, uh, a point of emphasis this weekend. 
But, you know, they had such explosive plays that you had a couple of drives. You had, I mean, one in particular, the, the Trey Madden run was the 65-yard one-play drive. And yeah. they had a two-play drive on uh, Stephen Mitchell's touchdown. So, And the Juju touchdown was, I think, four plays. So a lot of those drives weren't sustained drives. They were able to get the big plays. But the question is, can they create longer drives, five, six, seven-play drives when with a couple of first downs when you actually still have to punt? I mean, rather than just having three and outs and, and long touchdown runs because, you know, that's not going to be the case when you get to the Stanford game or the ASU game. So it'll be fun to compare and contrast with, with that and see how much, you know, if they start, if you have a 10, 12 play drive against Stanford where you're just grinding through, do you then sub in a couple of different offense linemen? And that's one thing I was, I was wondering, are we going to see Chuma Doga run in in the middle of a drive? Are we going to see Vianne because they want to give a, uh, a little bit of breath uh, breather for Toa Lobanon or for Damian Mama? Is, is that going to happen? And that didn't really happen. The only time it did was the second play of the game yeah. when Zach Benner's <laughs> shoe came off and he had to come out of the game and Chuma finished out that drive. But besides that, the only real switching uh, came on the defensive side. And how much are they going to be able to do that on the defensive side when you're playing a more up-tempo team? Now, Arkansas State wasn't the slowest team, but, you know, they took their time waiting, getting the call in, taking a look at the defense, that type of thing, rather than going straight at it and pulling the Oregon and trying to run a play every, you know, 10, 12 seconds or whatever it may be. Uh, but we saw some different, like, wholesale shifts a lot to, of the defensive linemen, and I was kind of curious about how that would work, and, and that was one of the things I noticed while I was charting it. You know, they did more where it was second-string defensive line would come in for the first string. Instead of individual players that uh, may be specific for a play that if you're on a third and long that you want uh, another guy in. Now, they had a couple different packages for third and long and stuff like that, but it wasn't necessarily just bringing a guy from from deep uh, or I mean, bringing a guy on because you know that you want to rush the passer versus having a run stopper in there. It was wholesale line changes, bringing the – the first team and the second team in and different stuff like that. Well, great stuff. Check it out on uscfootball.com. And uh, we're definitely going to have to have Shotgun on the show uh, down the road a little bit more. So I've been, every time I ask you, Shotgun, hey, you want to do this? You're like, I'll do whatever. Okay. But I think you like <laughs> I think you like, you're into the podcast, so we want to have you as a regular guest. That would be great. I mean, I, I try to be a jack of all trades. Anything you need me to do, I'm, I'm going to be able to try to at least – be competent at it. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm out shooting video and everything during the high school season as well and talking to those, those guys. And, you know, I've seen Mike Juarez and Matt Fink, uh, who looked really good, by the way, uh, this past week when I saw him. And and then I'll be there on Saturdays covering the game as well so and shooting photos for different things. So I try to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, well, let's see if you how you do with the answering the random questions coming from our, our friends <laughs> on the Internet. So it's always fun. We do, you know, it's – we just try to have fun with it. And, uh, so we'll go, uh, we're going to go to Evan. We'll give you an international question to start off because those are my favorite. Um, Evan says, love the show. Best way to keep in touch with USC news over here in Australia, especially during the off season. So thanks, Evan, for writing all the way from down under. He said, I just, uh, heard that Aussie punter Chris, uh, Tilby is joining the team this week. Very excited about that. Of course. Have you seen much of Chris at practice? And after listening to your podcast and talking, about the lack of deep punts, is there a chance he could slide into the starting position sooner rather than later? Uh, also see a lot of your articles and tweets, um, which is, you know, on the internet, which is wonderful. Keep up all the great work. I'm heading over to see the USC UCLA game this year. Can't wait. Might see you there. Fight on from Evan. 
Well, we're looking forward to having Evan come out for a game. That's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, hopefully he gets over the jet lag pretty quick. That's a nice little flight across the, the ocean. We have seen some of, of Chris uh, Tilby out there. Uh, you know, we, we're we not going to see a ton of him because I don't think that they have the inclination to use him this year. I think he's going to be similar to Matt uh, Bormeister where he becomes a blue shirt. We find out about that at the beginning of the season, and then we don't really hear much about him again until – you know, the spring uh, when there's an open competition then because Chris Alvarado is, is a redshirt senior, so he's going to be done at the end of the season. I don't think they want to put a bunch of pressure on Alvarado to try to, you know, battle it out right now with Tilby, and, and, but they'd rather get Tilby into the system, get him into the weight program and all that type of stuff to get going. Um, now, we have seen a little bit different. We've seen Alvarado try a couple of rugby-style punts, just uh, – messing around on the side and different stuff like that. I don't know if, if that's the future uh, of USC punting uh, or if they plan to try to convert Tilby. They just really like his leg and try to do that. Um, we haven't really seen him do the rugby style yet. We've seen him you know, kick a couple of punts the last week, but not too much now that they're getting into game preparation and, and more of the, the day-to-day grind of the season rather than the fall camp. Um, which it was kind of still that way last week. There was still a little bit of fall campishness where there was some co- open competition and still some guys fighting for positions where now it's, you know, you're focused in on the next opponent. So we'll see if he's needed at all this year. You know, with punchers, there's always a chance that somebody rolls into that plant leg and all of a sudden he's down and, and they need Tilby this year. And, you know, can he step in and will they make adjustments to the style based on him or will they need him to adjust to the style? That, that's kind of the bigger question with him so far is, is whether or not they'll go to the rugby style next year or if they want him to try to, you know, uh, transition into the, the more Americanized punting style. All right. Good stuff there. Let's, uh, we're going to go to, uh, let's see. I didn't write down his name. I'm sorry. So I feel bad about that. It says, hi, Ryan and team. Thanks for your great work and coverage. I wanted to add a good, bad, and unsung hero to Shotgun Spratling's piece. Uh, the good, uh, so he's talking about the piece you wrote after the game. Uh, mm-hmm. The good, the team played disciplined football, especially playing so many players for the first time and it being the first game of the season. The bad seemed like Cody Kessler missed on almost all his throws greater than 20 yards. And the unsung hero, Ronald Jones, he looked very fast, quick, and hit the holes with minimal dancing. Oh, I'm sorry, this was from... Uh, I think that was from Frank in Sacramento. Uh, I'm sorry about this. Hold on one second. Okay, he says, I'll give the Trojans A's on passing accuracy, run blocking, the run game, uh, special teams, and defense. But five sacks at a couple of times uh, when only four Red Wolves were coming shows the offensive line has a lot of work to do. Frank in Sacramento. I, I, I hope I didn't put two questions there together. But maybe we'll talk We'll talk about the, the first one part. I thought that might have been the same, so I, I apologize for my scribbles that I wrote down here when I wrote these questions down. Well, you know, looking at, at what he said, it, the things he pointed out were, were right on. I mean, we are good, glad to see that there was some disciplined football. Not a lot of penalties for once. You know, just three penalties were called in the game, and, and none of those were, you know, false starts or anything with guys jumping, uh, you know, with so many guys moving in and out, you know, you, you expect you might get a couple of those. But one of the, the penalties was Antoine Woods destroying the quarterback after an interception, which you don't really want to see, but it's kind of fun to see when, when he does something like that. And he didn't harm the guy, didn't blindside him, but the quarterback is actually still protected after an interception unless he's making a play. So, 
uh, that was a kind of a throwaway penalty. And the other two, you know, nothing, nothing major in those penalties. Uh, the bad talking about Kessler, you know, and his accuracy, that's something they've been working on this week, you know, trying to get on the same page, running full speed on some of those deep routes. And, and that's been a, you know, that was a concern for everybody or, or not really a concern more as a, uh, something that everyone pointed out that, you know, while they did score 55 points, if Kessler was a little bit more accurate, one, you had Stephen Mitchell wide open on one, just a tremendous route up by him, uh, running, he was in motion and running a kind of a, a flat route, and then all of a sudden he stuck his foot in the ground and turned upfield, and he actually made the defender, I don't remember if it was a, a cornerback or a safety, but he made the DB fall on his face, basically. And then there was another guy, I think it was a, a safety, was trailing him, and that was like six yards behind him. That That's a throw you can't miss. I mean, if you're playing the Stanford and Arizona State, you missed that game. I mean, you missed that throw. That's a, a game changer, potentially. If yeah. you remember – the uh Matt Barkley uh Arizona game when Marquise Lee threw went for like what was it 345 yards or whatever and the one throw that that uh, that Barkley missed in that game he he underthrew or overthrew a guy and that he had open it would have been a touchdown and it seemed like the game kind of swung on that play that's the type of play that that was with Stephen Mitchell if you're playing a better team so yeah you know they're working on it that's something that that is kind of a maybe a first game type of thing where you know, the accuracy is just not there because they're going full speed for the, the first full time against someone else and, and getting that timing down. But he, I think that's something they'll work out pretty quickly because Kessler was one of the most accurate passers last year on, on his deeper throws. So, you know, we expect that to kind of come around. And, and maybe we'll see some of it this week as well. And pointing out Ronald Jones, I mean, I don't – I kind of didn't want to give make him an unsung star because he was such a shining star for us. I mean, he, the, I mean, he looks so good out there, and uh, I believe Dan wrote a little bit about him. He, you know, he was, he he was everything that we thought he could be. And we, you know, you kind of wondered about him after the homesickness and not having his Whataburger and everything else from Texas <laughs> and some Texas barbecue, which we were talking about it yesterday. Don't don't know, you know, we got to get him out into L.A. a little bit because there's plenty of greasy food for for him here. Uh, yes. Lindsay Theory brought up. I mean, you can go anywhere in L.A. and find some good greasy food, not just uh, not just having to go back to Texas. Uh, but you know, it was good to see him. Not only the the touchdown run, but some of his other runs where, you know, it looks like there is a, a good two to three yard hole, and all of a sudden that burst that he has. I mean, he he's fast. He's very top end fast as well. But what impresses me the most about him is that burst that he has through the hole that all of a sudden he goes from you think, oh, he's going to get tackled and it'll be a three-yard gain to it's an eight- or nine-yard gain because instead of the guy getting able to wrap his arms around his waist, he's getting the back end of his, his legs as he goes by him because he's surprised at how quickly he got through. And I thought that he looked really good. Uh, and that, that was actually one of the reasons why I didn't make him an unsung star because I thought we'd have a little bit more on him uh, in some other stuff just because of, of how impressive that he was. Yeah, and that's, I, I think that was a separate question, so I do apologize for that. I was kind of – Frank at Sacramento, so I'll read what he said again. Um, he said he'd give the Trojans A's on passing accuracy, run blocking, run game, special teams, and defense, but five sacks a couple of times uh, when only four Red Wolves were coming shows the offensive line has a lot of work to do. And I know uh, Bob Connolly kind of talked about this a lot. Um, you know, there was a lot of questions about the offensive line. Maybe kind of share your thoughts on that and, and what was said at practice this week. Yeah, and I, I talked with, with Bob uh, on Tuesday and, uh, you know, went over some of the stuff that, that uh, 
what they kind of plagued the team and how they not only did they, you know, have these issues, but we also have to remember that after halftime, none of those things happened. You know, they, they ran the ball pretty, pretty well. You know, they didn't have any sacks. There wasn't even a ton of pressure on Kessler in the second half. So, and, and that was one of the things we kind of talked about because it was communication issues for, for a couple of things. Now, granted, you know, one, one of them was Chuma Adoga just got beat on, on the last play of the half, I believe it was, when he, when Kessler gets a sack and, and Bob, uh, kind of pointed that out. He said, you know, we got young guys, so we're going to have some communication issues. We're still working on that. And then occasionally we're going to have a play like that where we have a young guy just get beat. And, you know, they're striving to be, you know, much better. And, and Zach Banner was actually, you know, very vocal with the team, with the offensive line yesterday during practice. And even afterwards, they ran into extra sprints, which Sark says wasn't punishment, but I don't, uh, we'll, we'll believe him this time. We'll say it wasn't a punishment either. They just needed to run some extra stuff because they didn't run too many plays. Uh, but the offense lineman, the main offense lineman, the, I guess, first eight or so were out there running. But right after that, Zach Banner was, uh, while we were doing interviews with other people, we could still hear Zach Banner in the background, you know, screaming at the team that, and I asked him kind of the, what was the message there? And he said, Hey, we, we don't strive to be good here. We strive to be great. And, you know, he's become kind of the vocal leader. He's not the best, you know, the most talented guy or the necessarily the leader in the, in the film room. That's Max Turk. And, and that's a guy that is going to point everything out when they're in film. But if you need somebody to tell somebody that they're not doing their job, what, even if it's himself, he'll yell at himself in the mirror, I, w- I would believe. Zach Banner's that type of guy. He's just a vocal guy all the way around. Um, so they had some, some miscommunications. Uh, one of them was Toa. Was, there was a stunt, and Toa thought that he had passed the guy off and, and didn't, you know, didn't expect to get the guy to come, another guy to come back, I think. And one of them was uh, a delayed blitz that Toa had turned his head and the guy came by him on that one. So there's some, it was smaller things that could easily be corrected. Uh, there wasn't any, it wasn't like the linemen were just getting beat, you know, time and time again. There was one play where <laughs> it seemed like everybody on the same play got beat and, and there was one sack that Kessler just had no chance on. Besides that one, the other ones are, are, seemed like they were very correctable mistakes. Much, much of it would be in communication. And part of that issue, part of the issue there is them not having set a lineup and not having the same guys being healthy, you know, throughout the entire fall camp to be able to, you know, get a set five guys that they want to go with or six or seven if they want to sub guys in, which seemed to be the case. Uh, so that was kind of the issue there. I think you'll see that that's cleaned up a lot more, uh, next, this Saturday coming up. We had a question from Melvin Shotgun. He says, even though the score and stats show that you, the USC offense did great, um, I can't remember, I can't help but remember, he said what Lindsay Theory said on Wednesday. She was on our show. Uh, she writes for the LA Times and talked about, uh, seeing UCLA and UC- USC practice and felt that UCLA was tougher. So that's what he's referring to. Um, but he says, my question is, do you think the offensive line played cohesive physically and dominating that first game? I mean, I don't think you necessarily think they were dominating, but there were times when, when guys like the, the, Play I mentioned earlier with Zach Banner pushing a guy, you know, 25 yards down the, uh, away from the play and, and down the field. I mean, there were other times where him in particular, I saw him, you know, it just seemed like he was playing with a lot of fire and intensity, just taking guys back five, six, seven yards on a running play that it might not even necessarily be to his side. Now, maybe that's because the defender sees it's not that way and he just kind of gives up and gets pushed back. I don't know. But, uh, you know, 
he in particular stood out for you know for his aggressive nature. Vianney Talamayevo, I thought, had a, a really good game too, and you know I thought he got some really good push. There are a couple times you and you'll see it in every game that a guy's gonna get pushed back, whether it be you know Orlando Pace when he was at Ohio State, even though he was a potential Heisman Trophy candidate. There were times when you would still see him get pushed back on a running play or whatever it may be, just not getting the correct leverage and a guy getting under him. Uh, but overall, I thought they did a really good job. I mean, we'll see more in, in two weeks, obviously, yeah. when they play Stanford, <laughs> when you have a more physical front line than, than you saw from Arkansas State. Where Arkansas State, they were trying to more use their quickness. They were trying to get around. They are trying to do some stunts, play some games, twists, different things like that. And that's part of the, the communication issue. And also, uh, uh, I believe it was Taylor McNamara told me yesterday that they actually showed some different fronts that they hadn't showed in, in two years of film that, uh, that they had studied on Arkansas State. So that's part of the reason why they were able to get some early stuff. But what, one thing that we had concerns about all last year, USC fans were all worried about was the halftime adjustments. But what do we see in the first game? A positive note, we saw some halftime adjustments. We didn't see the same mistakes in the second half, especially on the offensive line. I think those guys will be good. I don't think that that, that was a dominant performance, though. Good stuff there. Uh, we have a, this was a late one. It actually got on my phone. I'll read it to you. It's a little, a little negative, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how you handle this one. He says, we, uh, we often hear about Cody Kessler's exceptional statistics, particularly his high percentage of completed passes. But in many cases, this is the result of Cody's preference for taking unnecessary sacks instead of throwing the ball away and out of bounds. And so uh, Cody succeeds in maintaining his impressive passing stats while at the same time costing his team dozens of yards a game. This is uh, not the action of a player who has put his team's well-being over his own. Or am I wrong from J.J.? Pretty harsh, J.J. Well, well, I mean, if that's an easy way to look at the thing, but if you've met Cody and you've talked about, try to talk to him about himself. Hey, what kind of stats are you going to put up? What kind of, what goals do you even have this year? He won't even give you a goal for the season, a personal season goal. Try to get one for the, the key 30, uh, team goals, team goals. That's it. He's all about the team. So I don't think that that's running through his mind at all. He, the, his problem isn't that he's looking at the stat sheet and worried about, you know, whether his, you know, his yards are going to go down or, you know, if he, uh, has a incompletion, if his, uh, if his percentage is going to go down. He doesn't want to throw the ball away because he tries to hold on to it and tries to let something develop. And sometimes that's, that's to his detriment because he waits to try to see if something else will come open or somebody else will, will come up, will come free. And, and that's a thing with this team. You've got wide receivers like Juju Smith is really, really good at if he's not open in his initial route, he knows the other receivers routes well enough to not run into their area, but knows where he can go on the field to be able to try to find, try to, uh, be open enough for Cody Kessler to have a throw somewhere else on other than the design play. So, I think that he trusts his receivers maybe even a little bit too much to try to get open a little bit later and trust his offensive line that you see a lot of the, the pressure that he gets is from the backside where he, he doesn't have that initial heartbeat counter. All right, three steps, three seconds. This is how long I got to get the ball out. Otherwise, there's going to be somebody breathing down my neck. And a couple of the sacks came from the backside. He does a really good job, though, in the pocket of stepping inside. A lot of times if there's rush from his front side, and kind of dipping his shoulder and getting in the first touchdown of Juju Smith. He does, if you watch the replay on that, he does an 
absolute tremendous job where he has a rush coming uh, off the edge towards his right shoulder, and he kind of ducks it underneath and throws off balance, and he's really good at throwing uh, accurately on the run and, and throws a strike a little bit across his body, a very difficult throw to make without uh, setting your feet right in, uh, hits Juju uh, Smith-Schuster right in stride or JoJo Smith-Schuster if you're a Pac-12 announcer, <laughs> uh, and he takes it to the end zone with the tremendous stiff arm that he showed uh, running down the sideline. So there's some things there that Cody could, you know, and that was one of the things he wanted to emphasize this year was try to get the – to to limit the sacks and try to get the ball out quicker. Um, and it just didn't come come together in that first game. I think you'll see a little bit better. Like I said, I think it's a, a work in progress. I think it'll be better this week and then the week after that. I think it'll be even better against Stanford because he'll know that he'll have more pressure. He'll expect more pressure. Now, I, uh, I'll i be a little less diplomatic than you, Shotgun. JJ, no way, dude. Like, that's not – like, I don't even – even if your premise was correct, like, what kind of percentage are we gaining – is he going to gain by, you know, you could argue two of the sacks in the game were his fault and say they're both because he didn't want to throw it away, which I don't think was the case. I, I agree with Shotgun. He's trying to make a play. Um, I mean, what does his percentage go from? You know, I mean, how many, like, it's, you're talking about two throws <laughs> one way or the other. It's not like he's going to go from a 70% passer to a 55% passer or anything. It's not like that big of a deal. And then you look at the play that he made to uh, Isaac Whitney where, he looked dead to rights and he got away from it and made a big play down the field and really helped on that drive. So that, you know, there's also ones where if you took two extra sacks, maybe you pick up an extra throw and you pick up at, you know, those dozens of yards you're losing that you said per game. You're also, you know, picking up more that way by making a play. So I, I just don't think that that's on his mind. Like Shogun is saying that he's trying to save his, I, I'd rather, you know, step out of bounds or, or you know, than throw an incomplete pass. It, I just don't see that. I think uh, maybe even a, a little bit better criticism might be that Cody is sometimes afraid to make a certain throw or try to thread a needle rather than risk an interception. And that becomes a lot different kind of a, a risk assessment. Do you want to, and there are times of the game, like, uh, you know, like we've seen him in the final five that they had through camps where it was two, uh, two point conversion. So he'll try to thread a needle then. Because he knows if it gets intercepted, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it was the end of the game. They needed a two-point conversion to to win the day. So, uh, you know, I think that's more of a a concern and a criticism than necessarily the yardage or anything. Is that maybe sometimes he doesn't want to uh, take the big risk and also have the potential of the big reward. He'll live to fight another day rather than you know going for the big one. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, we got one last one for you. Doing great, shotgun. Uh, let's see. It says, Hey guys, Aaron here from a small but diehard group of USC fans in South Florida. We stay up late for the games. He said, uh, I love the show. This is my first time submitting a question. So here goes. Can you guys discuss what seems to be an alarming number of players leaving early for the NFL only to go undrafted, then sign with teams as a free agent, then get cut in preseason? I know every situation is different, but is this typically the best choice? Also could showing players the, the data of these decisions Help make them better ones in the future. Thanks, guys, and fight on. And P.S. I'd love to see an article where someone analyzed all the data of this trend at USC over the past few years, as well as college football in general. Well, I mean, it, like you said, every situation is different, and and that's the first thing you got to note because you know a situation similar to Nikhil Roby, his mother died right after he signed on signing day. He comes to USC, was a starter immediately. You know, he's an undersized guy. But he took the risk and went to the NFL, was undrafted, but 
you know, everyone felt that that was, a, you know, he had the moxie, he had the, you know, ability to eventually, if someone gave him a chance, and he made it. And maybe that has been a, you know, a, a bad uh, example for other people because they think they can make it as well. But, you know, he had the family situation where he needed to go and, and provide for his brothers and sisters as well and take that chance uh, rather than spending another year at USC when, you know, he, he had kind of maximized potential at, at, at the college level. And other guys, you know, they, every person's situation is different. Every kind of circumstance is different to what they think, what they're going to get out of that final year at USC is. Uh, you know, the George Farmer one is, is one of the big question marks everybody wants to bring up. And, you know, well, we'd love to see him back because I thought he was going to have a big year this year. You know, he would have been leading that receiving corps along with Juju and Steven uh, Mitchell and Darius. You know, you have four great receivers then. But how much was he going to improve his draft stock? That was the big question for him. And, you know, it seemed like he was kind of left behind by all the, the great players he had played with in high school and stuff. He had been the number one guy coming out, and, and instead he had been left behind while Marquise Lee and Robert Woods were both in the NFL and making their mark already. So how much of it was, you know, him longing to be with his friends, with his, the guys he had played against? You know, there, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. I think part of it also is that during the time that the Lane Kiffin was here and the fact that you had three different coaches in the last five years, you don't have that turnover because, you know, players have their coaches. Coaches have their players. When Steve Sarkeesian brings in four new linebackers that are all five-star guys, do you expect them not to play at all? Do you expect Michael Hutchings and Anthony Sorrow just because they're older to automatically get those spots? No. So if they're younger guys and they have an opportunity, if they're juniors and they have an opportunity to potentially go to the NFL and they feel like they're not getting the playing time or not getting the respect or whatever it may be, then a lot of times you'll see a lot of turnover with with guys uh, leaving early when there's new coaching staff put in place. And when you haven't had a consistent coaching staff, like has been the case at USC, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that, which is why I think you're seeing some guys like Xavier Grimble or George Uko that have gone too early, and we now know that, but hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course, whereas if you had Pete Carroll and he recruited them at the beginning and he was still their guy for all four years, then maybe he's able to talk them into coming back a lot more because they have a lot more trust in a, in a guy that they, that they were recruited by and has you know been there for them and been their coach for four years rather than you know having Lane uh, i believe I believe Xavier Grimble was uh, recruited by Pete Carroll. Lane Kiffin comes in and, you know, Zaber uh, had an opportunity early in his career to, to play some, but him and Randall were, Randall Telfer were both guys that saw equal playing time. So maybe he said, hey, I've made my mark enough. Uh, a team is seeing what I can do when I'm coupled with another tight end. If they give me an opportunity, I'll have a chance. And, you know, before, you know, uh, he's getting talked into by another third coaching staff to, to stay, it, you know, it's a lot easier to just take off then. Great stuff. Shotgun Spratling. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at shotgun. It's shotgun underscore SPR, right? Is that correct? No, just shotgun SPR. Shotgun SPR. Okay. I didn't uh, have it in front of me. I didn't remember exactly what it was. Um, shot at shotgun SPR. He does a great job with USC football, USC recruiting. He'll be tweeting from games on Friday night. He'll be tweeting from the game on Saturday. He tweets after the practices on Tuesday and Wednesday. So you can always follow him on Twitter. He's a very interesting follow. Basically, a lot of tweets uh, about <laughs> USC stuff, uh, a little bit about national sports. Occasionally, we'll throw in some food. 
And then uh, if you also, if anybody's a college baseball fan, you can check out my other Twitter, which is ShotgunSPRD1, uh, for all my college baseball stuff because I tweet a lot about college baseball and I didn't want to inundate everyone else with all the college baseball stuff. Yeah, that's uh, we appreciate that. But I end up following both <laughs> of them anyway, and I get all these baseball things, and you're like, oh, my God. So, yeah, I, I, lo- I know a lot more about college baseball just from uh, hanging around Shotgun. So that, that's definitely a thing. So if you're into college baseball, he's, he's the man you want to follow. And speaking of college baseball, I would say that the USC just got a nice 2018 recruit, uh, a shortstop from, I believe, locally. Um, but uh, just a couple days ago, they signed another or uh, got another commit. Didn't sign him, but got another commit. So uh, Dan Hubs and staff doing a really good job uh, on the recruiting trail this summer. Oh, very nice. All right, well, check that out. Uh, I'm sure Shock will have more uh, posted up on uscfootball.com. Thanks a lot, buddy, for coming on the show. We definitely want to have you on again down the road. Thank you very much for having me. All right, everyone else, you've been listening to Shotgun Spratling, to Ryan Abraham, and this is, of course, the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.